Anderson podcast news from people you trust a real hometown hero Paul's accomplishes a goal nobody ever imagined a local group envisions a greener Anderson and meds expanding a local author's new book raises a toast to Baptists and bootleggers in the prohibition south and the mystery of large numbers of passing on the COVID-19 vaccine goes on all this and more on today's Anderson Reserver podcast for the week of February 5th and Groundhog Day was this week, if you missed it. Phil in the north and Beauregard in the south are at odds again on how much more cold weather is ahead. Uh, Phil says six more weeks of winter. Bo says no, but neither has a decent track record. So what we do know is spring is officially 43 days away. Uh, I want to start with a couple of quick items of news this week that you may have missed. Uh, TD Bank's closing their downtown Anderson branch April 23rd. Um, the statement I got from the company's headquarters uh, said the basis was evolving our meeting evolving to meet community needs which you know that's the kind of standard thing you get that make a whole lot of sense to me they probably weren't i don't know what their financial situation is but the move will leave downtown without a proper bank for maybe the first time in history at least the first time in the last 150 years or so speaking of downtown holiday ice posted another good year their traffic was up with 7500 skaters from 12 states hitting the ice uh they were you know, they socially distanced and did all the things they could to keep people safe. And the rink remained open through January 31st. But next year, they were planning to close after MLK Day um, because they didn't get much traffic, I don't think, after MLK Day. Anderson County Library is reopening some of its buildings with limits. Um, this is a few weeks after they've been doing curbside online services only. Of course, curbside online continues. You can call ahead and they'll bring your book out to your car. You can also now go in and browse the bookshelves yourself if you like. No meeting rooms, no um, uh, activities or things going on yet. And you can check the Facebook page, website details, or the story in the Anderson Observer for more details on what is and what is not available right now. Meanwhile, some people are excited about the announcement of the new restaurant, the Chicken Salad Chick. Apparently, a lot of people really like it. There's one um, in Greenville people talk about it. I have not eaten there, but it's coming to Anderson in the summer. Of this year it'll be in the location of the old Casa Fuentes uh, Mexican restaurant on South Carolina 81 North right there in front of the closed Bilo grocery store it's kind of weird when you're referring to things um, in front of or where things used to be somebody asked me directions something the other day and asked him if they remember where Sears was downtown and uh, that says more about your age than anything else but there are some good signs of economic growth as slowly trying to recover. The unemployment rate for Anderson County was up slightly at 4.1%, but remains below the statewide 4.6%, the decent pandemic numbers, and we're well below the 6.7 national uh, unemployment rate. In recent years also, there's been a seasonal dip in December, so that reflects that trend again to being down slightly. But if you remember this time last year, those pre-pandemic days, unemployment in Anderson County was at 2.2%. And so we um, have still seen a number of people out of work because of this. Some of the big employers, though, are hi hiring basically anybody who can pass a drug test and show up for work. And there was a job through drive-through job fair that attracted more than 200 job seekers Thursday this week at the Civic Center um, with a lot of local places hiring. So like I said, if there are people looking for work, they are opening jobs back up, particularly in manufacturing. 
course, TTI continues to get attention, and they were listed as one of the top ten companies investing in South Carolina in 2020. I think they were number seventh. And it noted their new $100 million capital investment in Anderson County and the addition of 552 new jobs. I think they were third in offering and creating new jobs here in Anderson County in the past uh, for the year 2020. And, of course, TTI, Arthrex, and others are promising above-average wages and benefits and opportunities for advancement. So you can just check online any of those sites, or you can go to Anderson County's Economic Development, and they can show you the jobs that are available there, too. There is a new movement afoot in the community to be more aware of opportunities to make Anderson a more environmentally friendly place to work and live. It's called Greener Anderson, and it was founded by Annie Sutton, whose day job is Assistant Director of the Anderson County Library. And she said she'd been concerned about such issues for some time and was looking for some place to volunteer, and Annie is a volunteer. She, she really is a, a heavy volunteer in this community, does a lot of good stuff. And she didn't find exactly what she was looking for, so she decided to launch this new movement with the help of a few other volunteers, and they're going to work hard to uh, invite everybody and engage the community and hopefully watch this grow. Okay, so um, when I started thinking about the things I was volunteering with, I was deciding whether they were sort of hitting all of my interests, and I was doing something with homeless people, I was doing something with animals, but I wasn't really doing anything with environmental issues, which, is, which are important to me. So... When I started looking around for opportunities, I just, I didn't see a whole lot there. Um, and so, you know, you know, they say if you can't find it, you've got to create it. So, so here we are with Greener Anderson, and the idea behind it will be to promote things that are happening in the community and then hopefully create some of our own volunteer events. So. And what kind of things are you talking about when you say find things happen in the community? What kind of things do you want to be involved in? Um, I definitely want to do things with litter pickup, um, with recycling, um, and even sort of like small, helping people do small sort of changes in their own lives um, that would be environmentally friendly. So, you know, even, a, even down to taking your own grocery bag to the grocery store and like sort of creating a space where we can create some accountability for things like that. Huh, that's interesting. That's going to be mainly on social media, Facebook and stuff? Yes, right now um, we mainly have the Facebook page, and I have a couple of uh, volunteers who are helping me man that. Um, but we hope to sort of gain more public participation and and more actually be able to do some of our own volunteer events in the community. And one way we're working on doing that is creating this 2021 Greener Anderson Challenge. Um, and I put out a, a sign-up sheet for that a little while ago. And actually, I've had 50 people in the community sign up, which is awesome. It's totally my goal for 50 people. <laughs> um, and we'll do certain different things each month, maybe a recycling challenge, which actually is our February challenge. Um, Tell people just, what that challenge is if they want to participate. Yeah. So for February, it is to take your recycling to a recycling center twice and take a picture while you're there and then post it to Greener Anderson. So that way we can share it and show that people are active in the community doing things. Um, we also, I have a, that's sort of the, the main part of the challenge, but I'm going to include each month a bigger step. So a bigger step for this month would be to talk to your neighbor about setting up um, a schedule where you you help each other with recycling or maybe at your gym you can set up um, a trash can or receptacle or something to take recycling there um, and just help people you know create this this 
sort of shared responsibility. Um, and hopefully more people would be doing it as well. So next month, we for March, we're going to do something with gardening. I think it will be something as simple as um, work on getting your garden space ready for the spring. Um, maybe start indoor seeds, that, that sort of thing. So. Okay. When, when you started this, did you find there were a lot of other people who sort of had this, were looking for the same sort of thing to be involved in and, and were glad to find you? I think so. Um, I, I feel like we've been really well received. I've got a little over 300 followers right now on the Facebook page. Um, and as we, it wasn't that long ago we started it in the fall. So I feel like so far it's pretty good. Um, I think a lot of this is about meeting people where they are um, and just encouraging them to, to do a little bit more as they can. Um, so, you know, that's really what we want to do. And that idea that if everybody does a little something, then it would be a, it'll be a big deal in the long run. Right, because I feel like, you know, even small steps are steps forward. Um, and, yes, the eventual goal is that all of those small steps together help us in the long run. So, I have seen we'll see. a couple of cars with the Greener Anderson stickers on them. You want to tell people about the logo? Oh, sure. Um, yes, a friend of mine, Brent Smith, actually volunteered to help us create a logo for Greener Anderson, and I have it on stickers now, um, which I think is fun. Um, and the idea initially was that if you signed up for the Greener Anderson Challenge, you'd automatically get a sticker. Um, to be honest, I'm pretty much willing to give most people one of those if they would like one. So they can come by the library and see me um, or message me, and I can get one to people pretty easily. I'm going to put a place marker where I'll ask you this question because we don't have to use it if we don't want to. But um, okay. is the library doing anything in terms of recycling? Um, yeah, we might put a place marker by okay. that. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. I mean, um, that's why I said I, I'm not going to run that. I was just asking you. Sort of. We do, we do recycle paper and cardboard, and I think they take stuff, but I'm not always sure that they do. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Have you yeah. Okay, let's, let's get back to have you found anybody else that is really um, excited and motivated about uh, moving forward like you are with Green Anderson with these with these folks coming in, or have you found any other real passion? Um, I, I have seen a lot of passion from people, um, and a lot of the ideas that uh, I've been given have been really big ones, um, which is super. Um, but I think right now that greener anderson having just started isn't quite ready to make um big changes uh i think once we get some footing in the community and some more people who are interested and we can actually show a good number of people who are actively involved or concerned about environmental issues then we can start thinking about moving forward to bigger things and one of those things i i would hope to do is to talk more with the city about picking up recycling at people's homes. Um, so that's just an example of, of something people have really already been messaging me about. So, right. Well, that that would be that would be a huge step forward. And right now, if somebody's interested in participating, um, doesn't cost anything. They just need to get involved nope. and start watching the the Facebook page for the challenges and the meetings and stuff. Yes, totally. And once you sign, if you sign up and want to send me your email address, I'm actually emailing people as well about the challenges. So if they prefer not to use Facebook, I can get in touch with people that way as well. 
It's always encouraging to see our friends and neighbors get involved in making Anderson a better place. And thanks to Annie for doing this and starting Greener Anderson. Uh, you can find out more information. The best place is Facebook. So you can check out their Facebook page. And uh, if you need more information than that, you can find out more in a story that's coming up in the Anderson Observer News from people we trust. Speaking of making Anderson a better place, almost anyone who's been in this area for any period of time knows another citizen who has spent her years here doing exactly that. Uh, Catherine Smith has contributed so much to Anderson, including being one of the founders of the Cancer Association of Anderson, involved in a number of other charitable and community organizations, and she continues to be involved in those efforts to help improve the place we work and live. She is also the author of at least six books, including her newest work and Bootleggers, a Prohibition Expedition Through the South with Cocktail Recipes. So uh, here's a conversation I had with Catherine about her new book, which will be out June the 1st. You've spent <laughs> most of your life in Anderson now, right? You know, I guess that's, um, that's true, or at least half of it. Um, we moved here in 1986, and um, <clears throat> so I was... 30, I guess, at the time, yeah. and um, now I'm 64, so <laughs> you're right. Yeah, that, that I'm not really fast, good at math. Yeah. Well, you came here and you were editorial page editor of the Independent Daily Mail. Well, that was I worked up to that. Um, right. If you remember when, when I first came out, I was just I was hired as what was called the special assignments editor, which meant just whatever oh, the editor yeah. wanted me to do. Right. And um, I also wrote some editorials with, yep. with you and um, a few others, and I remember very well coming into the newsroom for the first day and thinking, that guy looks like Bob Seger. <laughs> <laughs> a tall Bob Seger with no money. <laughs> as we all were as journalists in those days. Well, and your dad was on the editorial board. There you go. And your dad was on the editorial board, so that, he knew what was going not, on. Not at the same time I was, though. Oh, okay, but, that was before um, you got he, I forgot that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, we had Slim um, Hembry on oh, yeah. it, and um, some Jim Height, some real interesting people. And Remind people who your famous got, dad you is. Know? Tell people who your famous dad is. Um, Bruce Shandle, who's a, um, an eminent economist, oh, still is. very active in the economics field, does lots of speaking and um, prognosticating and the like. Is still a columnist, writes for um, a syndicate that um, mostly distributes in conservative media, but. Right. The good kind of conservative media, not the bad kind. Yeah, he's very well known <laughs> yeah. still and a really good guy. Um, so you, you moved from newspaper work, and then what did you do next here? Um, I, I worked for the Independent Mail for about 10 years, right. and then I um, took a job managing or trying to manage an Electric City Playhouse. And I did that for about three years, and I went to work for Partners for a Healthy Community and worked there a few years, and then I got cancer. And... Um, just started seeing that there was such a need for a cancer charity um, in this community. So with um, some other co-founders, Lila Albergati um, was one, and Garrett Chittister, and um, both Dr. Malik's, the Doctors Malik, as I called them, um, we started the Cancer Association of Anderson. Nice. So, And I ran that for a few uh, years, eight years, eight years, I guess. And then I... Um, decided just to go back to my first love, which was writing. So that's been eight years, and I've been doing that ever since. Now, uh, you've got how many books? Five, six? How many books do you have out now? But not counting the new one. Man, we'll I, I don't. Um, well, let's see. I've done two biographies. I've done the uh, World War II book, which we did for the um, museum here, and I've okay. done four novels 
my co-writer Kelly Durham in a, a mystery series, the Missy Land mystery series, and then I've got this new one that uh, we'll talk about that will be coming out in uh, June. And you, so, and then I've also helped people write a lot of memoir books, and um, like Johnny Mann and um, right. some folks like that. So, what what <clears throat> a lot of the books over the last few years have centered around the the era of the New Deal and FDR. What how long mm -hmm. have you been interested mm -hmm. in FDR, and what got you interested in that period? Um, just since I was a, a child, because my grandfather, um, who was also named Bruce Yandel was a huge fan of FDR, just worshipped FDR, talked about the Depression a, a lot. It, it really um, it had a searing effect on his life, like as so many other pe people in his age. Um, he was a young father and husband when the Depression started, and, you know, there were times that they didn't have food, and they had to just beg the grocery store for credit. He always had a job, but... A lot of his paychecks bounced, or the mm. you know proprietor of the newspaper. He was a newspaper man too, and they would say, "Well, I'm sorry, Bruce, so we just can't pay you this week." So um, things started getting better for him and my grandmother when um, FDR was elected president. So that kind of planted the seed, and then just over the years, I just um, just built up such an interest in him, and that led to writing the biography of his private secretary, Missy LeHand. Um, who uh, is to me a very fascinating figure, also. That's a really good book, by the way. Uh, oh, thank I read, you. I read thank you. It, it, people, yeah. I don't think people appreciate, um, you know, a lot of of what was and what became that we have today in terms of uh, things came mm -hmm. out of the New Deal and FDR. You know, and of course we've got um, the famous. I wish you oh, wish you had time to do an Olin Johnston book because he he's our local <laughs> FDR guy. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I'm thinking about doing a book about what the New Deal brought to South Carolina, and one of the things that, that I, I think is the most interesting is, is our state park system began because of the New Deal. We had no state parks in 1933, right. and the Civilian Conservation Corps was part of the first 100 days of legislation, and I mean, by June of that year, they had sent thousands of young men into the forest to do um, road building and, and, and built they, they built fire towers in South Carolina and they would build them on private property um, and they'd build a fire tower and a small house adjoining it because the fires there were watchers who just stood up at the towers all day so you had to have a little house for the watchman and his family and then um, slowly the county started ceding land to the state or private individuals did so they built 16 um state parks, and one of them um, is Oconee State Park. Um, my husband and I went up there this week, by the way, and it's just all of the, the structures there. There's 16 cabins that they built that are, you can still rent. They built the lake. It's just amazing what they did. And it gave all these unemployed young men some life skills. Um, some are outdoors. They got paid. They got good food and uh, helped their families out. And also giving them life skills so they could find work. It's amazing some well, of those people just, worked that hard and were able to send programs. money home. And you know the the WPA. Mm -hmm. I don't know the arts would be where they are today if it had not been for the WPA. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, just the- there are murals all over the state that were painted by WPR a artist. Um, some are in post offices. Some are, you know, the post offices moved somewhere else, so they're just on the wall of a business. <laughs> Courthouses, I believe there's one at the federal courthouse here. So that's another thing. But those are, you know, tiny when you think about just the big, uh, they built in this state post offices, schools, um, a lot of the buildings on the Clemson campus and uh, Citadel campus, Dock Street Theater was renovated in Charleston with uh, WPA money. Santee Cooper was built by the WPA. Yeah, and, and so, we lost that mural no. at the Clemson house. They painted over it one time and then they tried to restore it. <clears throat> Couldn't do it. But, yeah, yeah. But, but, and also, uh, writers, a lot of writers' careers were saved because nobody was paying anybody right. Like you were talking about your grandfather. Mm-hmm. And not being able to pay mm-hmm. newspaper people, that was happening in the cities too. And you had these creative people with, uh, and you know, there'd been some talk yeah. about rebooting the, the CCC and the WPA during 2008, and then when you get other times. So, but yeah, that is yeah. a fascinating period. And um, well, the, FDR believed did not believe in handouts. He believed he believed in creating jobs for people that actually did something. So, um, you know, he's. Bland, you know, at the time he was branded as this just this far out liberal and all that. But today, I think we would think of FDR as a very conservative person. Um, it just shows how how the world tilts, you know. Well, and also somebody <laughs> with his connections and his pedigree that cared about all mm-hmm. Americans. You know, he he was trying to mm-hmm. look out for what's best for all of America, not just you know one class well, or one group or just business interests. Did not always succeed in that way. He was, you know, could have done a whole lot more for um, for black people. Absolutely. And, and, but <clears throat> for his time, he did, I think, as much as he could do. And again, he was having to. His coalition <clears throat> included a whole bunch of unruly, unruly Southern senators and congressmen. Right. And you know, he had to appease them in order to get them to support other programs and um you know that was part of the part of the way it happened so yeah and and so mm-hmm. you've been reading about fdr pretty much since you were a kid then yeah you know, my first term paper in high school was about fdr <laughs> <laughs> and your teacher i wish like, i what? could find it <laughs> <laughs> do you remember what it was on it was about FDR, just on, oh, on, just on FDR. Know, like a little, just on FDR in general, what he did during the Depression. Right. Yeah. So you... Mm-hmm. you Interviewed um, my grandfather for it. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, you did the that's series, the fiction series, and then you, you did the Missy Lehan book and the Gertie book. And mm-hmm. your, your new, tell me tell me about your new book. I, I You know, I've just seen the cover. I'm well, out the new... Um, and this kind of drags my, my father and my son, um, Adam C. Smith. He's also an economist. My father, about 35 years ago, came up with a regulatory theory he called bootleggers and Baptists. And the idea is that if you have a, a, moral, a moral group, a, a, you know, it could be a church people, it could be um, environmentalists or someone who's saying, you know, we need to do this for the public good, and they kind of, it's kind of like politics makes funny bedfellows. So this happens over and over and over again in, in the world of, of government regulation. <clears throat> but the way Dad explained it was bootleggers and Baptists are diametrically opposed in their reason for wanting to do something. The bootleggers would like to get rid of um, alcohol sales, 
you know, especially um, on Sundays, um, because it, it opens up the market for them. It throws out the illegal sellers. The Baptists or the Methodists or the Presbyterians or whatever um, would like to ban alcohol sales also, especially on Sundays, for moral reasons. So they're working, they're pulling on the same rope with, with totally unintended consequences. So I took, um, every time I told somebody about their book title, they said, wow, that sounds like a really fun book. And, well, I have to say, well, it's an economics book, and how fun can they be? <laughs> uh, so we're talking about the dismal science. But then I thought, wouldn't it be fun to write a book that, that would meet the expectations of these people who are looking for a fun book to read? So that's what I did. It's called... Um, I, I switched the title a little bit. It's called um, Baptist and Bootleggers, A Prohibition Expedition Through the South with Cocktail Recipes. So I tell the story of Prohibition, how it started, and then how um, the South, which was one of the most Baptist-heavy regions of the country and went dry before the rest of the country did, um, managed to pretty much supply the country with, with rum-running, bootleg liquor, moonshine stills, et cetera, et cetera, and continued to do so, I mean, way into the 70s. Um, Jim Williams, who was the sheriff of Anderson County in the late 60s and 70s, said that 97% of the problems of the people in the county jail at that point were there because of illegal liquor. Wow. <laughs> that was long after Prohibition no ended. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway, so I look at, at some of the, and I go through some of the astounding characters, like Carrie Nation, the, the lady from mm -hmm. Kentucky who went around with her hatchet and just smashed bar rooms to smithereens. Um, you know, you get this visual picture of this little grandmotherly lady in a bonnet. Well, Carrie Nation was six feet tall. At the time when the average man was five foot six, she was terrifying. She was a farm woman. She was she could swing that axe, baby, and just you know just towering of um, just these towering rages she would go into. Al Capone had a big part to play in Prohibition everywhere, but he um, spent the last half of his life in prison and in Miami. Died in Miami Beach. So I have a chapter called. Um, uh, Al Capone slept here, where I tried to find all these places in Georgia and Florida where Al Capone supposedly laid his head and then um, rented a, a motorboat boat to in my, tour in Miami and went out by his house to get pictures and wow. stuff. <laughs> That's yeah, cool. Well, you know what you're saying reminds me because even, I mean, up until, like you're saying, the 70s when I, I was in college in at Carson Newman in East Tennessee, it was a dry county. There's still a lot of dry counties yeah. around way past... Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, the um, the county where Jack Daniels is is dry. That's right. That's right. It's the only only place you can buy alcohol is at their their um, their distillery in Lynchburg. Now, did you talk so, to um, any any people who are still alive that remembered some of the things? I know not Carrie Nations, but I mean the later end of that, or. Uh, well, you know, most of the people who, who were alive then are, are not alive gone. anymore. Because yeah, we're talking 1920 to 1933, yeah, so they'd be babies. children or, yeah. or very, very old people. Um, but there's lots of, of written history. Um, you know, I, you know, I love the research and I love the history, but, but the really fun thing I did with the book was I went places. Um, 
And I got to give credit to my husband, Leo, who was my traveling companion and driver and organizer and all that. So we drove to Louisville, spent a weekend going around to distilleries and tasting bourbon. And we went to um, speakeasies, modern speakeasies everywhere we could that are, they aren't true speakeasies, but they make it look like it. You know, there'll be just a red light hanging over a door in an alley and you have to know the password to get in and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's even local. There's oh, even some local see. ones around here. That... I've heard there are. Um, well, there's one in Savannah that you um, they have partnerships. You could either belong to the speakeasy or some of the hotels in town did, and the password changes every day. Mm-hmm. They don't have a website. They don't have a Facebook page. Right. There was one I in Anderson until fairly but... recently that it was basically a, a, a payphone number that you had to... <laughs> number two to get really well i've heard that it kind of floated from place to place Mm -hmm. um i don't know when covid started um when all the lockdown leo and i thought about doing a speakeasy of our own one night and just inviting some friends over to hang out in the patio and we were going to draw circles with chalk that were six feet apart (laughs) and you know have an outline of a body like that you know someone had been murdered and but that everybody was afraid to come because of COVID, so we shelled that idea. <laughs> it so, was fun to think about. <laughs> it is fun to think about. So you broke the book up into uh, the reformers and then the the bootleggers, basically, is what we're looking at the stories of those well, two and how they came in each, together in each and, chapter. Yeah. yeah, or how they came apart. So, but it just I do it pretty much chronologically. Um, but talk about um, in South Carolina before national prohibition, even state prohibition. Um, Pitchfork and Ben Tillman, um, you know, one of the most horrible politicians in our horrible history of politicians, um, was not in favor of prohibition, but he had the idea of, of having a state-operated distillery. So the state had the monopoly on liquor sales, um, raised all kinds of money, horribly corrupt. Um, so that's the whole story um, about how that came about. And every 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 section of the South, Georgia, Florida, we think of as just being so loose and wild, but they just they had just terrible wet dry wars going on. There's one one county that I focus on that they had votes every two years, and it just went from wet to dry to wet to dry to wet to dry every two years. Wow! And it would be like you know within five or ten votes, and everybody'd be mad he lost. And, um, <laughs> That's crazy. It's just, it's just, it is crazy, but that's how it was going on. Well, um, wasn't there, in the national the, prohibition, wasn't there at least early on some discussion of, of outlawing hard liquor and trying to keep beer and wine legal? And Well, when, when it was... Um, when the 18th Amendment was passed, that's what most people thought was going to happen. They thought that it was liquor that was being outlawed. But instead, it was any form of alcohol that was more than 0.5% alcohol. Or as someone said, that would rule out a, a German chocolate cake. Um, <laughs> so, so that you know that was kind of, of sneak, sneaked around. Um, the Volstead Act, which was the mechanism for enforcing the law, was much stricter than the law, than the constitutional amendment. Um, so, yeah, people were quite surprised um, by what they got. Uh, so there, you know, the there's just a lot of fascinating. There was this man named Wayne Wheeler who was the general counsel for what was called the Anti Saloon League, and he was so powerful. I mean, it, he was the scariest man in America if you were a politician, because he could he could cost you your job. And his famous line was, "I don't care how a man drinks, I care how a man votes." So you have all these politicians who are pretending to be holier than thou, and they were, you know, buying 
from bootleggers in the halls of Congress, but as long as they voted um, dry, they didn't have to worry about the, the wrath of the anti-saloon league. A lot of hypocrisy. I was going to say, nothing new <laughs> under the sun there, huh? <laughs> so one of the, one of your but the other thing that... Oh, go ahead. It'll come out June 1st, and one of the things that I've got lots of cocktail recipes in it, too, a lot of them are, actually most of them are Prohibition-era cocktails. And I've got some mocktails, too, because we are talking Baptist here. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them are contributed by bartenders I met, and some come from um, vintage cocktail books um, and that kind of thing. But I don't, Leo and I just had a ball putting the book together. We went to, there's a really great museum in Savannah, the American Prohibition Museum. Oh, my God, what a great place. We took a cocktail-making class there. And, wow. Can you make uh, bathtub gin? Yeah. Do you know how to do bathtub gin? You know, um, bathtub gin wasn't really stirred up in a bathtub. It was <laughs> it was poured into these big gallon jugs, and you had to, the spigot in the bathtub was the only one deep enough. Ah, okay. You couldn't do it that's in your kitchen sink, so that's why it's called bathtub gin, okay. you know, not that you were stirring the whole thing up in the bathtub. And <laughs> that makes sense. It's still the only <laughs> yeah, spout yeah. tall enough to drink. But at the American Museum of Prohibition, they have these little tiny china bathtubs that you can have your your drink served in if you want. <laughs> drink out of it that way. <laughs> that is cool. Well, yeah. so June it comes out June first. I can get it anywhere pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yep, Amazon, Publishers Amazon. Evening Post books. Yeah, they'll have it on Amazon, and it's it can pre-order it now on their website, which is eveningpostbooks.com. dot com. Okay, and so, can you get your other books um, you can, there too. You can um, you can get Gertie there, okay. and then my other, you know, all my books are available on um, Amazon, but um, Evening Post Books is the only one selling uh, a pre-order. Blackers oh. right now. Yeah, okay. the pre-orders, but it'll be on it'll be on Amazon, too. I know that um, McDowell's um, bookstore um, will be carrying, they carry my books, and they'll yeah, be carrying. Um, Judith is great. we got to save our local bookshops. She's great. And, yeah. Um, yeah, she's got a, a lovely shop there, and anything she doesn't carry she can pre-order and get it for you in a week so um good to support her and her business well i know you've got to kind of get out and do if 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 get everybody get their vaccine maybe you can get out and make some make the rounds on this book as well i know it's harder i really yeah yeah it's been i've learned i've done a lot of zooming which is um which has been fun Uh, missy lahan i impersonate missy lahan and have done hundreds of talks that way well missy now zooms believe it or not and um I actually have zoomed a couple of times for a, a retirement community in Massachusetts, which has been fun because Missy has this uh, Massachusetts accent that I had to sort of develop um, <laughs> based on listening to my in-laws who are all from Massachusetts. They like pock the kind of yad, kind of Yankees. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> if you considered zooming, like working your way through your uh, cocktail recipes, that would be an interesting <laughs> About the third be, or fourth yeah, one was, in there would be. A, yeah, the third or fourth, like, ah, oh, what, what was that? What was that? Oh, yeah. No, no. Well, be well, I know you, you, you never stop. What, what's your next book, Catherine? What are you working on next? Um, I've got a couple of ideas in mind, um, and I'd like to invite your, your listeners to follow me on Facebook. Um, my cousin Amy Whaley, who lives in Macon, found this diary for the year 1937, which is, you know, right in the middle of the FDR's, um, right at the beginning of his second term. And it's a woman who lived in Tampa, Florida, and she kept, it was just a page-a-day diary. And I just got fascinated with this woman's life. So um, it's this 
1937 and, and 2021, it's the same day and date. So, you know, January 1st was right. the same day of the week. So I started posting what little things from Mrs. Culp's diary um, and finding pictures that go with it. You know, today I had something about um, she had baked grapefruit for lunch. So I had a picture of this beauty queen lolling around on a bunch of grapefruits and oranges right. and a recipe for baked grapefruit. And um, so that's what I'm doing. And I'm thinking that at the end of the year, I'll put it into a... Um, a little um, calendar, I mean, a little um, diary book where you'd have Mrs. Culp's diary on one page and you'd have a page to write your own diary on the on the other. That's very so that's, cool. that's been fun. Yeah, yeah and, and people yeah. used to, I don't know if hers is this way, but I've seen some of those in bookshops where people not only wrote something, but they put clippings in and different stuff in those diaries. Mm -hmm. This one isn't big enough. It was something that was given out by an insurance company. It's really? just a little gimme, yeah. And she used it. And it has her husband's name. And she used it, yeah. And then someday, you know, not much happened. Someday, and one part, one part that's coming up really is going to be really fun. She went to Cuba for four days. Wow. So that should be really fun to, you know, find. And you can find postcards of anything. So I've got lots of um, vintage postcards, the linen postcards. Yeah. illustrating this and movie posters she went to the movies at least three times a week and saw a double feature each time wow which was not at all unusual at the time americans were just crazy for the movies i was gonna say and those, it was those very were the inexpensive days. Yeah. yeah those were the days that the theaters were air-conditioned and um she went to the movies all the time so it's it's just been a lot of fun so that's something that i'm um, working on for that's cool. This is a fun project. So it's Baptist yeah. Bootleggers, a prohibition expedition through the South with cocktail recipes. Mm. That's the whole cocktail concept. recipes. And the, the best place yeah. you said, to, the only place to pre-order it is where again? Eveningpostbooks.com. That's my publisher. They're out of Charleston. Thank you, Catherine, for all the wonderful things you've done and continue to do for this community. And it's always good to talk to Catherine. Uh, and I encourage you to pre-order her book from McDowell's Book Emporium in Anderson, the Judith McDowell's place on over on. Uh, Oak Street and uh, support our only local book bookshop. It's a really good thing. And if you haven't read any of Catherine's other books, you can check those out as well. Well, February is Black History Month, and this podcast is going to honor some of our local heroes who made their mark in history. And we're going to celebrate one person each week from that with interviews, either current or interviews I've done in the recent past. And the first one is just somebody that I just really am, was just dumbfoundedly amazed by when I, when I met her. It's Anderson's own Gladys Harrison. She was a freedom writer, and she exemplifies better than any other person I've ever met the spirit of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s approach to changing the world by changing hearts and minds. And I did have this chance to interview her just a little over a year ago, and here is a part of that interview with Gladys. And that's where I graduated from the, and it was known at the Anderson County Training School, but it was really Pinton High. Well, uh, in the beginning, we could not, uh, it was that we did not have school buses. We could not even ride on the school bus because in our area, my father was responsible for getting uh, uh, the one I just mentioned about. First cousin, his name was Andrew McDowell, and he bought a, a bus that was Trailway or Greyhound 1. After my father, I have a father which was firm and poor, that had uh, picked up all the kids in the area to carry them to Pinton High. And um, after my older sister, 
uh, had maintained her driving license. He would let her drive and pick them up. And then getting Andrew, a young man that had some money, that had been in service, to buy a trailway, like I said, a Greyhound. And he began picking up all the kids, all the kids around in this community, all the way up to the Liberty uh, Easterly Line. All the kids from Lemna, Mountain Spring, and Five Fall area to carry them. The bus was loaded with like 40, 40, 48 or something uh, young people. And in the beginning, and we had purchased for the elementary school, for Mountain Brain School, we purchased a bus. We as community people purchased one for the elementary school for them to. And then we paid uh, a young man to drive that bus to pick up the kids for the elementary school. And that was very frustrating to know that we were having to pay so much tax and know that our parents had quite a bit of land and they had to pay the same amount of tax that everybody else paid, yet we had to walk unless our parents would carry us. The only way we got to school was walking. And that was from here to where our church is today, Mountain Brain, Down on Highway 178. That's what, about approximately four and a half miles. So that was very, very frustrating to know that, you know, you had to do those things. Uh, it was very, uh, we did it with pride, knowing that one day it was going to get better. And, and we, you know, we fought for that day, not with malice, but as uh, Benita had just mentioned in you, we fought it with love and pride to know that we would we would reach another day. And my father followed his father. He really was a man that was a faith-walking man, uh, somebody that was rooted and grinding in the Lord. And... Uh, his fear, his fear was uh, nothing but about the law. He feared no man. So he said, one day it would get better. And we kept looking for that day. And we were so happy that it did happen. Uh, yes, we definitely ended up with the pride and joy of Mountain Spring community when we were able to purchase a bus so the kids would not have to walk. It was certainly at that time, I was in the high school, but uh, for the those that was at Mountain Spring Elementary School, we had buses for them to ride. Well, when did you decide you wanted to do something more than just your community to step up and really try to do something to help make those things change and make the future better? Well, you know, I after leaving Pendleton, I, I worked in New York during the summer and came back in, in the college. And I was my major was business administration. And after getting out of there, uh, what I was always in the community, whatever. I had been secretary of the church once I came out of college. And I think I really stayed secretary of the church over 30, over 35 years. <laughs> Even when we moved out of state and came back in state due to my husband's job. The job as secretary was still waiting for me at Mountain Spring. But I always, there was 
uh, fallen dad. There was nothing in me that hated. I didn't have any racial hate. Uh, even though daddy had, there were three rental houses on the place, you know, on the farm. And uh, we had, uh, you know, white lived in one, a uh, couple of black lived in the other. Daddy always told us to see people as people and never put a color to a face. And we tried doing just, just that, following his uh, guidelines. And everything, when I um, worked at the Pilsen School, all of the parents, whether they were white and really more white, would always say that I was nothing but a mother to their children. Because I, regardless of what child it was, I looked at every child the same. If they came to the office for something, no one received anything more than the other. And they even do not. As I walk out now, as old as I am, I meet so many of them, you know, telling me about themselves and still thanking me for being that mother to their children while I worked in the Pilton schools. You know what? I didn't decide. It was that uh, Dr. K had asked um, Dr. Young, W.H. Young, who was president of the NAACP, and Dr. J.R. Rich, J.O. Rich, was vice president. And during the time, they had asked for students that was uh, graduated from high school are uh, in college, traveling, looking for other colleges to attend. And that month, they had at least about 12 students that had signed their name, were daring to go to make the trip. That morning, all of them panicked. And they called me at 5 o'clock in the morning and asked me, would I please go? And I said, you know, Dr. Young was my our family doctor. I said, Dr. Young, uh, Dr. King had asked for students. I have been in college, but I was married in 1957. I have a two-year-old child. And I said, um, of course, they said they had to have somebody that was very pleasant, that loved people and did not have a high temper, I just certainly, I matched all of those qualifications. Uh, but I, I am not in school now. And they said if I didn't go, they didn't have anybody out of Anderson that would make the trip. And I called Daddy and spoke with him, and he said, well, Gladys, let me call MB. MB was his, it just was his brother. And Uncle Amby said, that is too dangerous for her to go. And Daddy said, no. Said, I'm going to encourage her to go on. Somebody have to go. And he gave me a drip here from the Bible, uh, Isaiah 4110. He said, you take this and stand on his word. Because he said, I'll be with you. I'm your God. Be not dismayed. 
I would threaten you and I would help you. He said, if you believe that, Gladys, you will make it. He said, I want you to go. And he, I asked him what they promised me. They would take care of my daughter. <laughs> was only two years old. Would they make sure if I didn't return home, would they make sure to take care of her? Because I was getting ready to go to the National Convention with our pastor, which he had requested me to go with he and his wife and their two daughters, along with taking my little girl with me. And that was in Rochester, New York. And I said, I'm afraid I won't get back to even make that trip. That is said, remember, I carried you to New York when you were only 10 years old to take care of the little cousin there. You rode the train back. And you were only, that was in 1945. He says, so let's just say that God is still that same God that carried you there and brought you back home at the age of 10. So he will be with you. He said, don't, don't think, don't think negatively about that. Knowing that God is more powerful than any human being on earth. He said, your bus driver that would be driving, the people that will be riding that bus, if you just stay focused on God and believe that, he will see you through. And certainly I did. I followed Daddy's advice. And knowing that Daddy and I can be was known in Anderson, he could not be seen and carrying me to the bus station. So he dropped me off a block before, and I walked down. My features were so much like my father, I had to put on my dark glasses, shade, to make sure 